The Apostle Paul writes this. He said, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law, the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of the darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not carousing in drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. This is the word of our God. Let's go before our Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Some of you may recognize who this is. Uh, the very, very popular and yet widely um, um, provocative and controversial rap artist Kanye West said this quote in a May 2018 interview at TMZ. He said, when you hear about slavery for 400 years, for 400 years, that sounds like a choice. And by using those two words together, slavery and choice, Kanye West upset a lot of people. He upset a lot of people by saying something that is obviously offensive. It is definitely uh, discriminative. And it is obviously missing out on some facts. It's ignoring some facts from history. Namely, that, that for 400 years and 400 years ago, um, people living in Africa did not choose to be kidnapped at gunpoint. They didn't choose to suffer harsh conditions being transported from Africa to the United States. The men and women that made it did not choose to be ripped apart from their families. They didn't choose to be treated like property. They didn't choose to be subjugated to forced labor and oftentimes under harsh conditions. They didn't choose to live a life where they needed to fight for even basic human rights. So Mr. Kanye West, you are wrong. Slavery is not a choice. It is not a choice that enslaved people make. It's only a choice by, well, those who held slaves, a uh, uh, morally misguided, a massively mistaken choice by people who forced others to be slaves. So why am I talking about Kanye West and his maybe less than wise, definitely ignorant comments this morning? Well, it's because as, as I got ready for our sermon this morning, and was studying Romans, uh, I, I asked a similar, but is addiction a choice? 
Is that a choice that people are making? Think about that. Ironically, but with no connection whatsoever to Kanye West's uh, comment, the origins of the word addict actually go back uh, to the Roman slave world. They're soldiers who, who were victorious in battle and who were receiving an award for what they did on the battlefield would receive slaves known as addicts. The, the Latin word addictus means that they are decreed by law to be subject to somebody. And it's there that in the Roman court of law that people who were slaves were, were known as addicts. By no choice of theirs, they were decreed to be slaves. Now some of you might also know the myth of Addictus. It's a myth, a story that goes back to that time uh, of a slave, right? Of a slave who, who was an Addictus, who was an addiction, and he was eventually given freedom by his, his master. And yet, as the myth, as the story goes, he was seen the rest of his days wandering, wandering around still wearing his chains even though they were loosed. He chose not to take them off. He was still enslaved by them. Back to the question. Is addiction a choice or is it not? I suppose very reasonably you could argue that, yeah, it is. The drug addict chooses to use the alcoholic chooses to abuse. The pornography addict chooses to view. And, and the person addicted to gambling chooses to set foot in the casino, right? But then again, with maybe equal reason, you could compelling, compellingly argue that, no, addiction's not a choice. Take, for example, my love or dislove for coffee. I drink it, but I don't really like it. And so I could choose not to drink coffee. But caffeine addiction, it's a real thing. There's some people that it's not really a choice. And, and think about yourself. You can choose if you're going to eat some of the goodies out on the welcome table after church. But for some people, food addiction is a real thing. For a husband and for a wife, they can, they can choose to have sex. But for some people, sex isn't an expression of love. It's a, it's a compulsory behavior. So you could argue, no, addiction's not a choice. But no, addiction is not a choice. Well, that's only a half understanding of the nature of addiction. It's not a full understanding of addiction. Shortly before uh, he, he stepped out of his position, um, President Barack Obama's um, United States Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek, um, let me get his name right, Dr. Vivek Murthy, he released a report, uh, a report that was entitled Facing Addiction in America. And in it, he outlined the massive problem that our, our country is facing with opioid and other substance addictions. And he called upon all Americans to have a more full, a more complete understanding of what addiction is so that we can help addicts. In the report, uh, actually in an interview on the report, this is what the doctor said. He said, for too long, people have thought about substance abuse disorders as a disease of choice character flaw, or moral failing. We underestimate how exposure to addictive sub substances 
can lead to full-blown addiction. Addiction is a chronic illness. What the report goes on to lay out and what experts agree on is that addiction is not like a fence where on one side, yes, this is a choice for some people and on this side, no, it's not a choice for some people. It's more like a spectrum where on one side of the spectrum, you have people with healthy uh, functioning brain activity able to choose whether to use or not use a substance. But as people are exposed to that, let's say, that substance in a moment of choice and they choose to use a substance that is harmful over and over again and they do it more and more, what eventually occurs is that the brain is infected with a very real disease. And on the other end of the spectrum, there, there is a brain that we'll call, let's, let's say, the, the choice-making mechanism in a moment of choice, not able to choose, well, what we might think is the wise decision because what's going on in the brain is, is not the same risk-reward, the same memory and, and motivation thoughts that a healthy functioning brain would have. And so the idea of choice is, well, it's not really gone in the same way that you wouldn't choose to have the common cold or you wouldn't choose to have the stomach flu. The addict wouldn't choose on this end of the spectrum to have the addiction. So here's a more full understanding of addiction. A full understanding of addiction realizes that it is not a disease of choice, but a chronic disease of brain reward, motivation, memory, and related circuitry. It's not a disease of choice. It's a disease of the brain. And for 21 million Americans, they're slaves to addiction. For one out of 10 Americans, they are slaves to things like alcohol. One out of 20 to alcohol, one out of 10 to illicit drugs. And there are 115 people who die a day because they are addicted to opioids, even things including by all this about addiction, why all these facts, why all these information about addiction, what does it have to do with you? What does it have to do with your life? And specifically, what does it have to do with your Christian faith? Well, today I want you to have a, a, a complete and a full understanding of addiction, and more importantly, uh, a complete understanding of the gospel. Because, listen to me, Having a complete understanding of both those things is going to radically transform the way you look at addicts, the way you look at yourself, and the way you look at your Savior. Back in the 4th century, there was um, a man named Augustine. We've, we've come to know him as Saint Augustine, an incredible force for shaping the Christian church. But before he was that, he was a young man. And he was a young man that, according to his own testimony, denied himself very little. He lived a wild life, constantly um, partying wildly with friends and, and sleeping in many, many different beds with many different women. And by all accounts, including his own, he was addicted to sin. Specifically, he was addicted to sex. 
And like addicts today, because of his addiction, he came to really hate himself for what he was doing. And even though he, he hated himself for it and didn't want to do it anymore, he still, he couldn't make the choice not to do the thing he didn't want to do anymore. Eventually, he, he encountered Christianity and it appealed for him appealed to him for a number of reasons, not the least was, well, because it, it gave perspective to his struggle. And he read about Christianity, he read scripture, but still it, it didn't change anything. It didn't, it didn't help him shift gears in his life. Well, one day he was lamenting this to a friend. He, he was despairing to a friend as he was walking along in a park, in a garden. And he told him, listen, the things that I'm trying not to do that I don't want to do that I know are going to harm me at the same time I know I'm going to do them tomorrow and as the as the story goes and who am I to question the story he heard a voice he heard a voice that that stopped and said to him listen and read listen and read not knowing what this voice meant, he, he went back home and he sat down and there. He had his, his Bible next to him and he opened it up. And as the story goes, he opened it up to Romans chapter 13, the very section of scripture that we read this morning, just a moment ago. And he read about putting aside the deeds of darkness, having the armor of light, clothing himself with Christ because our salvation is nearer now than when it first appeared. And in that moment, things changed for him. Things changed because he realized that, that was the answer to all of the, the, the lust that he had been giving into. Christ was the answer to all of the guilt and all of the shame that he had been feeling. And, and that, that, the gospel was the one thing that provided all of the excitement, that <clears throat> provided all of the joy, provided all of the pleasure that he had been looking for. That the gospel was the one thing that changed the way he thought about love, changed the way he, he thought about lust, and ultimately changed him. The gospel transformed him. But how? Was it because, you know, it was just magic that it happened? Was it because of willpower that finally he was able to, to take the resource provided in God's word and, and make a decision not to do what he was because he chose Jesus before. No, he, he had tried that. Was he because he chose Jesus? Was it because he said a little prayer and welcomed Jesus into his heart that he was able to do that? No, he had begged Jesus for that before and it, it didn't work that way. That's not how God's word works. That's not how God's spirit works. What happened was that the Holy Spirit, through his means, through the word of God, came to him and in a very real way made him very, very much aware of his real standing before God. That this is who he was, but who he is now is someone clothed with Christ. That's the gospel. But listen, if we only think that the gospel is, is saying your sins are forgiven and they disappeared, that's only half of the gospel because then we're redeemed for what? Another chance, right? Another step up at the plate. And well, there we're going to fall short again. There, Augustine knew that if that was it, I keep on failing. It, it doesn't work that way. 
but made all the difference is, is realizing an equally essential and absolutely necessary second part of the gospel that, that we're going to highlight right today. And that is this, that in Christ, we are transformed. In Christ, we are made new. No longer are you a sinner, you are a saint. No longer are you identified as one who has an addiction, but you are identified as the one who is the object of adoration. You are identified as the object of God's love. Here's a full understanding of the gospel. The full understanding of the gospel realizes that it is not merely, although it definitely and most certainly is, about the elimination of transgressions the pardoning of all of your sins, the forgiveness of all of your sins. But the gospel is also about the action of transformation. We call that justification and sanctification. And listen, to the degree, to the degree that you understand the nature of addiction, how it works, and most importantly and most significantly to the degree that you understand the nature and the power of the gospel, well, it's to that degree that, that you'll be transformed in the way that you look at addicts, the way that you look at, at Christ, your Savior. Let's talk first about addicts and the way that you look at them. Oftentimes, it's easy as, as maybe people who aren't addicted to, to look at addicts and, and think thoughts like this. Well, I thought they were a Christian. I thought they had a better grasp of things than that. I thought they were raised better than that. It's easy to look at an, an addict and say, mm, she made some bad choices, didn't she? But that way of thinking that way of looking at an addict is gone when we look at them through the lens of the gospel, when we look at them through the lens of this, that this is someone whom Christ came to transform. This is someone for whom Christ died. This is someone for whom Christ lives. And this is someone that God has not only taken their sins away, put it on a boat, rode out to the middle of the ocean and dropped those sins in the bottom with a weight tied on it just like ours and put up a no fishing sign so that the sins never return. Oh, this is someone that God also outfitted for the adventure called Life in Eternity with royal robes of righteousness personally tailored and personally fitted just for them. On well, the nature of the gospel Understanding that nature of the gospel changes the way we look at them because they are someone for whom Christ came to transform and it changes the way I act towards them because this is someone for whom I must come to love. Paul said this. He said, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Oftentimes in church, we talk about owing debts, right? And we know because of Christ's proclamation on the cross to tell us that it is finished, paid in full. We have no debts outstanding, right? Except one. We have the continual, ongoing, never paid in full debt to love, to love others. And you haven't understood the gospel until you realize that what Christ did in the gospel, embracing the world's debt of sin, 
and loving on it and forgiving it is now what we get to do for others. We must do for others, including, ah, especially addicts. We owe it to them to love them. When you understand addiction and you understand the gospel most importantly, it'll translate you look at yourself. Think for the addict for a moment and what they do. Do they want to do the thing that they do? Absolutely not. It's in the definition of an addiction that that this this thing that is causing, the substance that is causing harm isn't a thing that they want to do. And it's not much different for a Christian. Think about your life and the things that you do. Do you want to speak harshly to your children, to your spouse? Kids, do you want to disobey your parents? Maybe in the moment, but think about it like, no. You want to obey your parents because you, you know that God commands us not to do this. And you know he attaches promises when we obey his commandments. Do you want to have a wandering eye? No. Do you want to have feelings of intense anger when you're driving down the road or or looking at someone who's different than you and acting strangely? No. You don't want to do those things, but why do you do them? Well, it's not that much different than why an addict does what they do. Isn't it in some sense we really, well, just begin to feel that we want to medicate some of the sadness, some of the emptiness in our life? Isn't it that we sense really just how broken, how dependent, and how incomplete we really are? Isn't it that we sense we're not really who we want to be? And so we rely on something else or someone else to make us feel better. Now, an addict doesn't do what they do because they want to do it. In the same way, a Christian doesn't do it, but why do we still do these things that, that harm us? Well, it's because this. When you, when you come to think of and look at yourself, you are someone who's no better or no worse than an addict who sins because you sin. But, but, remember what Paul said. You are someone who has put on the armor of light. Let me read it again. Paul said that night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of the darkness and put on the armor of light. Listen, do you understand what that means? Do you understand the power therein? That because you are clothed with Christ, because you have on the armor of Christ, the armors you to set aside the deeds of the darkness, that allows you to stop living as a flesh woman, as a, as a flesh man, but a spirit man, a spirit woman, someone who is living by the spirit of God. Someone that is now able to stop doing the things that I don't want to do and start living in the really powerful, loving way that I know my God wants me to do. 
because you are equipped with the spirit of God. You are wearing the armor of light. You don't have to feel the need to escape the reality of the world because the reality of, well, of your reality is that you being declared perfect by the almighty God. You don't have to self-medicate in unhealthy ways because you have been declared well by the good physician, our great physician. And when you take the gospel and you understand the gospel, now it starts to transform the way, yes, you look at others, the way you look at addicts, the way you look at yourself, but most of all, it transforms the way you look at your Savior. Here's a passage that's rather familiar to many of us. And if you can read it from there, would, would you read it with me out loud? This is John three sixteen and 17. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Most of us know this verse pretty well, right? But have you paused to ponder what it's saying? Jesus Christ is not the one who came into this world to judge you and condemn you for what you have done wrong. In the same way, Jesus Christ is not the one who came into the world to be your coach and your guru and to give you a second chance. Because if he did that, you'd mess it up. Jesus Christ did not come into the world just to be your cosmic buddy and your best friend because he's more than that. Jesus Christ did not come into the world to be the one of the ways or the truth if you find it to be the truth or the life that you always wanted. No, why did he come into the world? Jesus Christ came into the world to save the world. Jesus Christ is this. He is the one who came in the world to transform me, to transform you. That is who he is. Jesus Christ is the one who by his death broke the chains of sin, death, and the devil forever. By his life, Jesus Christ is the one who gave you life. Life in eternity and a life right now that you have real hope in. Jesus Christ is the one. The one who transformed you from what you were to what you are now. And that is one who is wearing the royal robes of Christ. Bought with his blood. That's who Jesus Christ is and understanding the gospel, that message, that, well, that transforms the way we look at him and that transforms the way we live in him. As the story goes, it was a couple years after uh, he, he became a Christian that St. Augustine was traveling. He was out traveling with some friends and he was passing through a town, a uh, town where there lived a lady who he had had a prettily sexually charged relationship with there. And the lady that he had spent some time with there came running up to him and, and said, said, hey, how you doing? Nice to see you. And, and Augustine talked to her, met her, spoke to her respectfully and um, very kindly. Um, but then he moved on. And thinking this was kind of strange, the the lady thought to herself, this isn't how he normally interacts with me. It's more of a flirtatious thing. What, 
What's going on? So he called, she called after him and said, Augustine, it's I. And standing there, he turned around, looked back at her and said, I know, but it's not I. And that's where you stand too. You stand in a place where, where it's no longer you, but it's Christ who lives in you. You stand in a place where by grace, you've been transformed. And we, my friends, stand in a place where we're collectively knowing, knowing and understanding fully what addiction means and what it looks like. And more importantly, knowing and understanding what God's gospel is and what it means. Well, we are standing in a place for you, for me, and for addicts as well. Amen.